fantasy. Huh? Uh, Welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch Season 4. Woohoo! Hello, gentle listener. Uh, all new season, all new complexes. <laughs> well, some very old complexes, but... Uh, new to us. <laughs> <laughs> you say that. <laughs> you ever notice how you can just... When someone says something you want to disagree with, but you don't have an actual argument, you can just go, Well, you say that. Well, you say that. And then just and add an ellipses, yeah. and it sounds like they're the, the Their moron. entire argument has been undermined. Yeah, it's Love really it. unfair and enraging, unless mm-hmm. I do it. Yeah. Hello, gentle listener. <laughs> uh, this is the podcast in which two nerds and sometimes others talk about books, but not about scotch. I'm your host, Ethan Bartlett slash Michael Lilienthal. <laughs> This is my guest, Michael Lilienthal slash Ethan Bartlett. <laughs> yeah, if you can't tell the difference by now, it really doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> if it ever did. If it ever did. But I'm Michael Bartlett. I think I've made that joke before. Yeah, I think maybe even like episode one we made that joke. Probably. Or episode two. Yeah. Oh, dear. Not that you should ever listen to those episodes, gentle listener. No. We are I mean... much more professional now. <laughs> yeah. Definitely more professional. That's the word I would use. Better at agreeing with each other? No, we're not even that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, well, so... Hi. Hi, how's it going? (laughs) Good. Oh, Oh, man. So it's season four. Yep. Uh, I I was thinking the other day about how I love podcast seasons because, like, TV seasons and even, you know, if you go back to, like, radio dramas and stuff, there was, like, a a natural break, right? Mm -hmm, Like, you mm -hmm. had to programming changed for a while or for production costs or schedules Mm -hmm. or whatever like it you naturally broke over the summer or per per year it was only reasonable to produce a certain number of episodes but with podcasts it's just sort of like well we're gonna call this a season break yeah (laughs) (laughs) like certain uh fantasy improv based podcasts Yep. That we both listen to, just like no matter what their production schedule, it's just every hundred episodes is a season break. Just yep. Yeah, it's uh yeah. We we do have to keep from getting sued by not naming any podcasts. Yeah, we can't name any other podcasts yeah. on this podcast or. Uh, we will owe royalties for all the money that we make. All the money on we this make show. from name dropping, we yes. will have to pay. <laughs> that's how yep. that's how capitalism works. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the script says I should introduce the scotch, and I'm clearly sticking straight to the script. Yep. yep. Uh, so I was Gary a waiver. I was a little bit naughty <gasps> uh, when I when I picked this one out, but Uh-oh. I think you will be okay with that. Oh, okay. Uh, my my excuse was celebrating certain major life events that you have had ah. recently, and also I wanted it. Oh, okay. Okay. So, today's scotch, gentle listener. (gasps) I love it. (laughs) I thought you would. I'm so pleased. Lagavulin 16-year-old scotch whiskey. It is an Isla single malt, age 16 years. The uh, box is pretty pretty spare. I guess the back has some some of your standard scotch talk Mm -hmm, on it. mm Mm-hmm. Um, many believe that Lagavulin is one of the oldest distillery sites in Scotland. In 1816, local farmer and distiller John Johnston, I think he moved over to America later and uh, did logging in northern Wisconsin. Awesome. Founded the first legal distillery here at Lagavulin uh, after the Gaelic that has about twice the number of letters that I'm guessing is roughly Lagavulin. <laughs> Translates to the hollow where the mill is. 
Today, Lagavulin's four onion-shaped stills are neatly tucked into a whitewashed jumble of buildings by the sea on Isla's rocky southern shore, guarded by the imposing ruin of Dunivag Castle. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some other copy on there, and I'm not going to get into it, because no. I feel like I've just read too much of everyone's scripts already. I'm in bondage, Michael. You're in bondage. I'm in, I'm in bondage to the scripts to the everyone script. else have has imposed on me. Yep, yep. And I'm going to break that bondage by opening this box, taking out the scotch, uh-huh. and drinking it as we do every single episode. Dang it! Uh, <laughs> so this is a very beautiful looking scotch. It's like it a is. dark amber color. Now we've both had this scotch before, right? I have not had this scotch. You haven't had Lagavulin 16. I have oh, not. I thought okay. you had, yep, but I, I also thought that you would be okay with it. It anyway. is also one of uh, my wife's favorite scotches. Nice. So, um, speaking of that, should we have the rules, including our new rules? We should have the rules, including our new rules. Gentle listener, we have pulled out all the stops for season four. We've doubled our production budget, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because twice nothing is nothing. So, extra um, sound effects. Are you like gonna that put, one. Did, yeah, good, good. <laughs> I actually believe that you're going to put anything in. Anyway, gentle listener, uh, and that, that budget crack was no offense to our wonderful Patreon subscribers, um, who we do love. We do. Uh, except for Nat, but he knows where he stands. <laughs> um, anyway, please, Karen, please come in and read the rules. Karen, what are the rules? Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule 3. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule 4. Michael must never say the words, vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule 5. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number 6. The wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number 7. If four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle Gentle listener. Thank you, Karen. Uh, So, yeah, gentle listener, you'll have noted the new rules. Um, Michael and I are very excited to punish each other no matter what. No matter what, there will be punishments dealt out. That's, That's honestly, like, why we started this podcast in the first place, and I'm right. a little bit surprised it took us this long to, like, enshrine that mm-hmm, into the mm-hmm, rules. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, that said, I'm going to pour some of this very exciting scotch whiskey. Mm-hmm. Present your glass, please. Presented. All right. Thank you to our ASMR contingent who has now stopped the podcast because they know it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> uh, but for the rest of you, 
Thank you for continuing to listen. Yeah. And Slancha. Lachayam. That's not what we're here to talk about, gentle listener. No. That's not what we're here to talk about? I don't know. This was a completely pointless digression. Today we are talking about Of Human Bondage by W. Somerset Maum. I'm gonna, I'm, I, I have something pulled up right here. Okay. So that we can settle this for sure. Oh. Somerset Maum. Maum. I think we, I think we so far in like introducing and, and puffing this book have pronounced his name 12 different times, and I and don't not think that, that was any of them. <laughs> so that's humiliating. Very. Michael, Mom. did you forget your copy? I was going to say I have a wrench to throw in this entire recording. My book is at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can have my copy to at sure. least refer to. Right. Um, which does have a lot of sassy notes, including quotes from Hezekiah that I assume we will get to. Whoa! Okay. Um, yeah. But... Well, yeah. So yeah, I don't have my my copy, and I'm very sad about that because I also took many notes in the margins and things. But I'll just have to remember them. How long ago did you finish uh, uh, reading this book? I actually re-reading. paced it and finished reading it yesterday. Oh, nice. So I, I, okay. I averaged out how many pages I had to read per day to get it done and finished it yesterday. You do that. You've done that before. Mm-hmm, it's because mm-hmm. you're better better at math than I am. <laughs> I finished it like two months ago, so. Uh, between the two of us, one Whoa. having the copy to cheat from, and the other <laughs> one having just finished it yesterday, we'll, we'll get about fifty percent of the way to an yeah. accurate yeah. representation of this book. Very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, gentle listener, uh, I'm sorry to say, as I hold this weighty tome in my hand, that we are going to pause and let you get through this. <laughs> And how was that for you? Well, don't worry, you've come to the right place. <laughs> we will clear it all up for we you. We will clear it all up or muddle it so much that you forget everything. We are Mother Superior and we will explain it all. Man, I just almost lost again in like following my own digression. <laughs> I'm just it's not gonna be a it's not gonna be good. Why? Why isn't it gonna be good, Ethan? Well, why why is your outlook so bleak? Why does it feel like the day is breaking gray and dull? Gee, for someone who doesn't have his copy of this book, <laughs> you sure tried to trap me pretty accurately. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent Thank work. You uh, I'm, I'm happy to have almost fallen for that. <laughs> um So here we are. Of Human Bondage is a very large book. And is. I do have some questions. That I want to ask you before I get into anything that I think about okay. this book. So, uh, as the gentle listener knows if, if they have uh, been with us for a while, we pick one of these very large books every mm-hmm. year. We have sort of a running list of books that neither of us feels... Uh, could be just a two-episode thing. Yeah, and... slash a, a, a thing that we get to just impose on the other one. Right. They're, right. they're long enough that we feel mutual consent must be arrived at, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, much as doing horrible things to each other is the point of this show. Right. Um, <laughs> so, 
that said, the list, you know, is constructed of, of suggestions that one or the other of us have made. Mm-hmm. And you were the one who both put human bondage on this list and sort of uh, uh, pulled for it, yeah. I guess, for mm-hmm. lack of a, of a better term. Um, and I, of course, agreed to to uh, to it and, mm-hmm. um, you know, had been intending to read it at some point in my life anyway. Mm-hmm. But in a sense, this could be sort of your your uh, hobby horse of a book in a, sure. in a certain sense, in a in not meaning the pejorative sense no. of that word. So that said, uh, what made you because you had read this book once mm-hmm. and wanted to reread it for the show. What made you want to do that? Well, the when I read it before, um, I was in college, I'm pretty sure, maybe seminary, I can't remember. Sure. But I read it primarily while donating plasma, uh, okay. and it was a library book sure. copy, and uh, so I just, you know, paged through it and read it while motionless, and it's sort but of... not emotionless. Not emotionless. No, of course not. You can't be emotionless with the book. But I was uh, reading it, um, and a lot of it stuck with me. It, it was the first book by Malm that I read. Malm. 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 Yeah. First book of his that I read, and it made me want to read more. I still haven't read a single other book by him. I do own a collection of short stories of his that I haven't read yet. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it was interesting and compelling in a lot of ways and i wanted to reread it because i thought there was more to it that i wasn't quite getting at first okay um it it struck me as extremely dense which um part of the irony of that is the the prose doesn't come across as necessarily dense right it's very straightforward and he explains some of that in the prologue which i kind of want to talk about a little bit just on its own yeah i will (laughs) say i actually i meant to because i've probably mentioned on the show before but my standard uh practice is not to read forwards or uh, uh, prefaces mm-hmm. um, or anything that's written about a book or introductions, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Anything that's written about a book before I read the actual book. Occasionally, mm-hmm. I will break that habit for a specific reason, but for the most part, I find that they usually give away things about mm-hmm. the book that I'd rather they didn't give away. Or even if they don't do that, they sort of influence my my take and, and influence what I get out of a book that... I can't then know if I would have gotten that same thing without mm-hmm. having read the, the preface. So usually I'll finish the book and go back and read the preface as a sort of commentary on it. And yeah. that usually works pretty uh, pretty admirably. So I realized this afternoon that I had forgotten to do that with this. And I, so I did read that preface ah, yes. this afternoon. So yeah, that, I, I see, uh, I, I understand, I think, what you're uh, saying there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one, I, I want to say one more thing about why I wanted to come back to this book, yes. too. Um, and that's, you know, because of the idea of there, there's something that I'm not, I wasn't getting from it the first sure. time I read it. And uh, you could explain this book by going through the, the arc of the main character, Philip Carey. Yes. And how he comes to, well, early on in his life, he becomes an atheist and uh, lives his life that way and kind of struggles with morality as an atheist all the way through to the end of his life. And it struck me that there there was something else happening besides just this guy being an atheist and establishing sure. some sort of atheist morality. Sure. And with my own religious background and stuff, that sort of story wouldn't necessarily be as interesting to me. But 
the fact that there had to be something more to it, just the way I was reading it initially. There sure. was something behind all of that that I wasn't quite getting at. And I didn't know, all, uh, altogether understand, I, I, I had hints, but I didn't altogether understand the title sure. <laughs> of the book either, which is all kind of connected. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. So, again, before we, before I get too far into uh, responding to that specifically... I did want to ask, like, how do you feel about having read it again? Do you, what, was that, that deeper layer there where, are you happy you read it again? I am very happy I read it again. I am thrilled that I read it again. It's also the sort of thing where having read it again, I had a heck of a time trying to figure out what book to bring to read next because (laughs) I'm like, I'm just done reading for a while (laughs) after this. This is, this is enough. This is, this is all I need. No, but, uh. Yeah, no, I'm very pleased to have read it again. Okay, interesting. And I wanted to ask you all these things uh, before mm-hmm. I said what I'm about to say, yes. which is that I didn't like this book you at didn't all. Didn't like it at all. I borderline hated this book. Check. All right. Um, now that, uh, and I wanted to to say, you know, I, I wanted to get you on record so that your reactions would not be colored by me having said that, uh-huh. but also to just sort of. Um, you know how on TV, like courtroom dramas, which are an accurate depiction of real real life dramas, of course, mm-hmm. um, lawyers will be like, like, can I have permission to treat the witness as hostile? Yep. <laughs> um, and then I think after that, like, once the judge says yes, they're allowed to like scream at the witness and like intimidate them with clubs and stuff and throw um, things at them. And, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I fall asleep about halfway through a lot of courtroom shows, so I'm not sure, but. Um, <laughs> I fall asleep through all of my court hearings. So. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is why you're living on the street. <laughs> oh, that explains it. <laughs> Never made that connection. Yeah. Anyway, so it's sort of to give you permission to treat the witness as hostile. Good. Um, now that said, I a I would have read this book at some point. I sure. Think, no matter what. So I'm not like upset with you for making me read it. Would can I interject? Would you have finished it? I am not sure. Okay. <laughs> and also, I may have skipped 40 pages of it at oh. one point. Oh. And I did want to lay down that challenge to you over the course of these episodes to see if you can figure out. Figure out what 40 pages you skipped. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. okay. Which I could see you figuring it out quite easily, or I could see you not, I, and I'm if, genuinely if interested. If I had my know. copy of the book with me, I might have an easier time of figuring it out, but sure. I'll see if my memory serves me. Sure. Um, yeah. So that, like, like I say, I probably, frankly, based on like the way I did read it for this show, I probably would have read it in roughly the same manner. I maybe would have skipped more of it, but I got far enough into it before I started just getting frustrated with it that, uh, I think I would have had sort of a sunk cost thing and would have at Mm, least like mm -hmm. skimmed my way to the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I say, if it wasn't for this show, I maybe would have read less of it line for line. Got it. Now, that all that said, like I say, I, I would have read it at some point in my life anyway. I also do think that there's plenty to talk about here. Okay, like, I was going to say, and now you're forced yeah. to talk about it for four hours. No, I, I, <laughs> that said, like, I think there is plenty that I will be quite happy to talk about. Well, in, So uh, I, I'm not sorry to have... The discussion. What I, mainly what I'm saying here is that I'm willing to have my mind changed. Sure. But right now I'm at a skip it. Sure. Um, and I'm not saying you need to try to change my mind, but like no. I'm I'm willing to to hear what you have to 
say about this and, and to have my mind changed. And I'm actually kind of interested for my own self to see if I stubbornly stay in this sure, French sure. or um, if I make it over no man's mm-hmm. land to... Uh, to see uh, if you can analyze yourself enough to get out of the bondage of your own passions yes, and desires. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't think that this this book would allow me to do. But <laughs> fortunately, we are not in this book's show. No. This book this is, is in our, our show. show. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I just wanted that on the record yeah. as perhaps Nat finally getting his wish. That's what I was going to say. We, we fulfilled the, the desires of one of our patrons. Yes. And we disagree. So, <laughs> uh. so yeah. Uh, that said... Uh, is there anywhere that you really, really want to jump into to begin? Or there are we... several places I could start, so if there's any particular space you want to start. Well, as dangerous as it is for me on this show, I figured we'd at least start with the actual beginning. Oh, okay, um, yes. Because this does seem like a book that's uh, would lend itself to sort of a chronological Definitely. work through. It's very linear. In, yeah. In its, it's even it's even almost sectioned off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was actually a little bit surprised the farther into it I got. I was because it it just it starts with chapter one and goes to chapter one twenty two I think. Yeah. Uh, something like that. Anyway, and it doesn't have like book one, book two, part nope. one, part yeah. two, anything like that. And I was a little bit surprised at that because yeah. it would lend itself so well, as opposed to something like Don Quixote, which could honestly have just been one continuous yep. stream of consciousness and instead is divided into like two books and seven parts and yep. 194 chapters or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that that's just sort of my reason, as opposed to something like Shock the sure. Fatalist, where it literally would not matter where we started. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll start at the beginning here. Sounds good. Um, how do you feel, and I'll let you take take yeah. my copy just for yeah. a slight textual review. Um, gentle listener, Michael is going to be rereading this text since he forgot his. He's going to be rereading it as we're talking about it, yep. and it's going to be a very interesting episode. <laughs> um, so... Uh, just how do you feel about the opening? The opening, okay. Well, like start literally. The the the, the, the thing I'm not allowed. The to thing say. you're not allowed to say. The first paragraph says the day bo- broke gray and dull, which I referenced earlier. The clouds hung yeah. heavily, and there was a rawness in the air that suggested snow. Just those first two sentences. To, to me, when I first started reading this book, uh, I knew Mom was someone of prestige that I was supposed to read, someone yes. I was supposed to know something about. And I have to admit, too, I didn't really do any more research into him. Um, I kind of wish I would have, but sure. I didn't. The only thing I did, I didn't read the introduction in my edition, but I read his foreword. His foreword, sure. And I was a little surprised to learn that he, in his own lifetime at least, achieved a lot of success as a playwright. Yes! Because I've never heard of him, like, I've you know, taken theater classes, theater yep. history... I've never heard of him as being like an influential, right. important playwright. Right, and I haven't looked into in any more of that, uh, but that it, it does make a good deal of sense. Uh, I like you. When I read this the first time, I did not read the foreword until sure. I'd read the book. This time around, I read the foreword first because I'd already read the book, so sure. it wasn't going to spoil anything for me. Right, uh, and I'm actually glad I did read the foreword first this okay. time around. Because yeah. it explains some things, like you read this this first paragraph, those first two sentences, and you're like, he's breaking every rule of prose. Right, I was going to bring that up if you didn't. He, yeah, he is breaking every rule of writing prose, just layering adjectives and adverbs out there 
Well, not only and... that, but two things you're not supposed to start with uh-huh. are the weather yep. and your main character waking up for the day. Yep, yep, yeah. No, absolutely. And that's exactly what he's doing in all yeah. of this. But uh, with a lot of the prose style, he explains that in the foreword. Um, that uh, he wasn't going to fluff it up at all. He yeah. said something about that, and and he linked that to his career as a playwright. And it does the the prose does read itself more like stage directions. Yeah, yeah. Which is where the end of the chapters come in too. I wanted to talk about that. Yes. Each end of the chapter is like the end of a scene on a stage yeah. play, yeah. where it's this this big punchline. And then right. you can just see the curtain dropping. <laughs> yeah, it's almost it's almost like a, a cliffhanger, but like it's such a it's such a realism inflected text that yeah. like, the cliffhangers aren't that important, but it does just it feels like it, it feels yeah. like like kind to of be melodramatic yeah. a little bit. Yeah, which like you're supposed it, to tune it, into tomorrow's broadcast. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's something that's almost hackneyed and 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 overdone nowadays. I think. Yeah, but and probably even at even his at time, his time, I think it would have been too. It to would have extent. been yeah to an extent. It would have been certainly risky. I think it would have been one of those mm-hmm. things that you only get you your your instinct as a beginning writer would be to do, and you yep. don't get to do. You, you only get it. to do it if you know exactly what you're doing and why you're right. doing it. One of the things I'll um, say about that, though, that, that I I like about his pro style is he yeah. just kind of owns it. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Um, he 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 owns it. He's confident in it, and he just writes it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. He occasionally does break uh, from a sort of very linear style. Mm-hmm. Because for the most part, you expect him to just stay, you know, uh, uh, the boy is however old he is in, Eight, in chapter one, something like that. And, you know, you expect chapter two, he's he's going to be nine, chapter three, he's going to be ten, mm-hmm. and, like, all of the scenes to be very straightforward. But occasionally he breaks out of that, um, but mm-hmm. it's it's almost jarring when he does it. And I, mm-hmm. I do give him the credit, I think he's... He's using those those jarring breaks intentionally. Yes. Um, when time passes, kind of suddenly, or or even there's there's one uh, I can't remember. I want to say it's when he's in school and he does something that he knows will um, upset his his aunt, his guardian. Mm-hmm. Um, and it breaks from the scene where he's doing that without any even like page break. Mm-hmm. It breaks into the scene of his aunt like learning about it or maybe it's a letter sure, that he writes that she sure. receives and then it goes back to that yeah but it only does that it did, did that so seldom that i think i noted it every time in yep. the text when yep. it, which is effective yeah. in his writing then when yeah. he uses something so seldom that way then you do take note of it and he is punctuating something right in yeah. that way yeah. absolutely um what, what are your reactions to the first paragraph here well besides what we've already talked about uh that that uh i i don't have anything more particular to say okay i would like you to note the uh note that i made at the end of chapter three okay end of chapter three (laughs) uh if you can't read it what a very edible first three chapters well it does say edipole edipole um very edible so not chapters. not food but not sleeping with your mother <laughs> yes right um well I know you're i've got to... news for you ethan it doesn't stop after the first oh does chapters. it not no are you, are you sure wait are you saying that perhaps at least his first 
two relationships with with women, romantic relationships. I would say, and arguably all of all them of his romantic relationships are essentially with mother figures. Yeah, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Are you also saying that the only time he is not cruel to his aunt is when she's distressed and he feels bad for her and a way that reminds him of feeling mm-hmm, for his mm-hmm. mother. Are you also saying that? Yeah, that... I, I'm also saying, what was his father's profession? Wait, crap, I can't remember. We never meet the father. He's dead by I, the time this starts. I did remember that. What did he do? Was he a politician? No. He was a doctor. Oh, duh. And what profession does Philip take yeah. up at the end? Yeah. <laughs> well, he tries, he tries that somewhere in the middle. He sort of has a well, no, I guess he's sort of stumbling towards it by the mm-hmm, end. Mm-hmm. Right? And he, he starts well, he, to, he makes it at the end. Yeah, no, but, but he starts to go into it partway through, yep. and there are some hiccups. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. Almost as though he's bound to this fate. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Almost as though uh, parentage is destiny. Yeah, which uh, I want to say, too, that you know, you know this comes on the heels of a, a sequence of other books that were all about fate and destiny and things, and you know, now we're at another uh, one sure. of Human yes. Bondage that's kind of along the same lines, Yes, uh, that things are inescapable. And he does get to, a, a, especially in some of the later chapters, he gets to a very fatalist sort of place, yeah. um, but he goes quite nihilistic with it right um but still that that fatalism is there for him and i don't think it's an accident therefore that the oedipal complex is everywhere because what was the story of oedipus about but fate telling uh the the parents of oedipus what he would be yeah that's that's a that's really interesting i hadn't thought of it from that perspective but i do think it makes absolute sense uh, the thing I had thought of was just the fact that this book was written in 1915, and mm-hmm. that's exactly the time period for Freud to oh, have yeah. written his major works, but also for them to be have been sort of disseminated culturally to mm-hmm. the point that that you know people who had been working on 11 million page novels, um, <laughs> you know, would have sort of internalized them and, yeah. and integrated them, and you know, Freud Freud had his sort of heyday. Um, and at a certain point, people started sort of problematizing him, and and yeah. um, I think at this point in in uh, f- fields of like psychiatry or psychology, uh, Freud is considered anywhere from uh, um, quixotic to actually discredited. Yeah. Um, certainly, some of his his ideas are are in elaborated forms are still present. Um, yeah, but in literature, I think Freud and Jung had both uh, much, much greater staying power than they did in their actual in fields. the actual fields of psychology. Um, yeah, you can see Freudian imagery in you know films like sort of art films and things mm-hmm. made into the seventies and the eighties mm-hmm. and used quite consciously. Um, and you you know you'll see literary critics yeah. and and film critics uh, picking those out of films well past the point that Freud sort of stopped being uh, the go-to text mm-hmm. in in if you went into the actual field of psychology. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, that's absolutely true. And I think um, I, I don't I don't know I don't necessarily care to know how much Malm bought into Freud's theories at the time. They were certainly sensational and interesting, and he certainly used them. 
Uh, but I think he used them in such a way to actually get back to the original myth because sure. you cannot help but see the Oedipus complex there. Right. It's He's not hiding it at all. Right. Especially when you get to the very end. Uh, I marked, there was one page in my edition where he's talking uh, about Sally, uh, who he winds up marrying at sure. the end. And one page, there are three or four times where she's referred to as motherly. In right. one page. Yes. <laughs> all tied up with his romantic feelings for yes. her. So, yeah, no, it's it's absolutely, it's it's there. <laughs> yeah. At the end of, of uh, chapter seven, it's, uh, I, is another one where I just wrote some sassy stuff about uh-huh. mm-hmm. Oedipal complexes. Um, and also just noted the 1915 publication date mm-hmm. and that being in the in the zeitgeist. Um, to me, to, to respond to to how intentional or how much mom believed in yeah. Freud, um, to me he writes like someone who has internalized Freud's theories without a lot of, I don't want to say like without critical thinking, but without a lot of dialectical thinking i guess i don't okay. feel he doesn't read to me and again I'm, I'm willing to be proven wrong on this but he doesn't read to me like someone who has done a lot of pushback against freud I, he writes sure. to me like someone who thinks that freud has pretty you know maybe is not accurate on every single front but that freud has done his the best work at describing the internal life of humans sure again you know i i've only read it the one time and this yeah. is um, certainly, certainly not uh, something I would be able to sit down right now and write an academic paper proving. No, yeah. Um, but that, that that was just my initial impression. Mm-hmm. But anyway, at the end of, of chapter seven, after Philip has has uh, uh, left his his mother's house after she's died, and he's mm-hmm. gone to live with his his aunt and uncle um, caretakers, I just underlined a. One and a half sentences, which actually I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this and then contextualize it, which okay. is obviously wrong. He did not resist when Marianne undressed him. Mm-hmm. She kissed him after she tucked him up, and he began to love her. Um, now, just to contextualize, this is the uh, the nurse yep. maid or whatever that mm-hmm. that his aunt and uncle have hired, and she's undressing him as like a, a caretaker of a child. Right. There's nothing inherently yeah. sexual about uh that action except for the specific way that mom has chosen to write this <laughs> um and not only that but then there is that parallel to the actual scene which we didn't really talk about what chapter one is scenically right but in chapter one the uh uh what was it the the nursemaid at, yep. at his mother's house takes him down and puts him into his, his own mother's, mother's bed, bed. Yep. Waking him up to do so because she has has called for him and mm-hmm. she misses him. Again, I I did mm-hmm. already warn you, gentle listener. It's a very Oedipal first three chapters. Yes. <laughs> well, you know because you read it, and I'm sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, so then so you have that that like undressing that like you could take that line out and put it into a sex scene yeah. and not change it. Yeah. And then, um. Because she, at least the implication to my mind, she kisses him. The the like hidden bracket is like like his mother used to do, mm-hmm. and therefore he began to love her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So again, very very Oedipal. Yes. Um, do you have any uh, anything else you want to say about the Oedipal stuff or other stuff in those first several chapters? 
not necessarily just yeah it's it's there and it's it's very key that we we get kind of the foundation of his character there in those first few chapters because yes. he's a young child and his mother dies and he's taken away and put into uh, the home of his aunt and uncle, and then he learns that he's a wizard and is taken off to this. <laughs> oh, wow. wait. <laughs> Holy cow. I was actually, as you were talking, thinking of a Harry Potter analogy um, that is completely unrelated to the one that you just said. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, because what I, what I was uh, sort of wanting to transition into is roughly, and there's overlap here, but roughly the next several chapters after this... Um, talking about his life at his aunt and uncle's house yep um and what i was because what i want to want to talk a little bit about in here is uh right at the beginning of this episode you mentioned his becoming an atheist yeah um and these next several chapters i feel like so those first several chapters you have this sort of what i'm gonna have to call an oedipal foundation <laughs> um much as that sounds like a very bad charity that no one should support. <laughs> the Oedipal Foundation. <laughs> the, the Oedipal uh, Foundation for the rest of Philip's relationship with women. The preferred charity of Michael and Ethan in her room was No, 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 it's not. Gentle listener, it's not. Oh man, please don't let that be real. These little boys need the love of a mother. Oh my gosh. And we're all little boys at heart. I'm not helping you with this. Oh man. All right, you have to do a Google search before you edit this episode, okay. and if the Oedipal Foundation turns out to be real, you have to cut out this entire section. <laughs> or I'll just put an apology right here. Here, how about I just insert it? I'm very sorry. <laughs> In fact, no matter what, I would rather this entire section be cut out and then just, I'm very sorry. Now we already spent all of our editing budget. Did... Yeah, the is special this... effects at the, at the front of the episode. Okay, I was going to say, is this like when Karen and I walk in... After, like, being out for an afternoon and see that the house is a mess. And we're like, did we forget to pay the maid again? <laughs> no one cleaned this place while we were gone. See, see, for, for my in-laws, it's the cleaning fairy. The cleaning oh. fairy just never comes. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Excellent. Uh, now I forgot. Anyway, Life it oh. is on uncles. So, yeah. Harry Potter. Um, which I think that the next several chapters... So the first several chapters lay the Oedipal Foundation <laughs> um, that's going to come back later in every single one of his relationships with women, especially mm -hmm. his romantic relationships, mm -hmm. terrifyingly enough. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the next several chapters maybe lay sort of an intellectual foundation sure. for him. Um, and I think that the rest of the book really sort of bounces back and forth and sometimes synthesizes these two foundations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the Harry Potter analogy that I was going to do, um, <laughs> that I was literally thinking of as you talked about the hidden plot of of human bondage where Philip Carey is actually off in magical Scotland, um, <laughs> not having to work out his Oedipal complexes with any tawdry shop girls. Um <laughs> So is that like so in Harry Potter and the the Philosopher's Stone, um, to use the only correct title for that book? <laughs> uh, don't at me, gentle listener. Uh, in that book, I remember reading around when it was first becoming popular, some critic just saying something about like that Rowling's plotting was not very subtle, and that she laid foreshadowing down like building blocks. Okay. That you know when after Harry first arrives at Hogwarts, it's like. Uh, oh, there's a 
forest that's forbidden and no one should go into it. Mm -hmm. And there's like three or four other things that like if you've read any stories at all, you 100% know that she's not going to spend this amount of time in like a 200 page book setting it setting this thing up without it coming back but she yeah. just lays them down like here's a building block here's a building block mm -hmm. um and you know even while it's not subtle it does that doesn't mean it's wrong and i think no. that's true both in harry potter and here like yes you know uh mom is not subtle but again that that's that's not inherently wrong um so that said uh we had to have our our uh signature longer than necessary harry potter digressions of course of course um, we've ticked that box for the episode you're yep. welcome gentle listener mm -hmm. um so, so you know, anybody got a michael and ethan in a room with scotch bingo bingo <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh I, th I was gonna make a joke that might have actually made me lose so <laughs> nice try <laughs> that you definitely tried and i, I didn't did just... i did it was intentional uh, um okay so uh i'm gonna arbitrarily say starting with chapter eight Okay. Um, and even if you had had your copy, probably going by chapters, since there are so many mm -hmm. of them and every edition will probably be slightly different of this novel, going by chapters might be a better reference anyway. Yeah. But starting with chapter eight, we get really into um, some description of the uh, life at the vicarage, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the life of this particular uh, vicar in the Church of England. Mm -hmm. And a lot of really interesting religious stuff that I think is interesting mm -hmm. both like culturally and uh uh religiously as well as mm -hmm. pertaining to Philip's developing character. Yeah. Um and one like just as an example of that and also because I want to get this in there um we have in chapter in chapter 8 we have this passage where um uh, it's Sunday, uh, which if you know anything about the history, especially of the more sort of low church Puritan inflected parts of the of the Church of England, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, that should be a, sort of a red flag for you. Um, and Philip is playing with mm -hmm. blocks. Mm -hmm. um, his aunt uh, comes into the room to discover this. She says, what are you doing with those bricks, Philip? You're no, you know you're not allowed to play games on a Sunday. Philip, oh, it's it's his uncle, rather, not not his aunt. Philip stared at him for a moment with frightened eyes, and as his habit was, flushed deeply. I always used to play at home, he answered. I'm sure your dear mama never allowed you to do such a wicked thing as that. <laughs> Philip did not know it was wicked, but if it was, he did not wish it to be supposed that his mother had consented to it. He hung his head and did not answer. Which, by the way, and this is a complete aside, but I hate when people don't tell you something and then yell at you for not knowing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, just like if there were if, just a very neat, like, you know, like eight line way to turn us completely against the uncle. If we didn't mm -hmm. already hate him, like this would do it. Yep. So the uncle continues. Don't you know, it's very, very wicked to play on Sunday. What do you suppose it's called the day of rest for you're going to church tonight. And how can you face your maker when you've been breaking one of his laws in the afternoon. <laughs> so my uh, margin note for that one was just, no playing with blocks on a Sunday, Hezekiah chapter 11, verse 17. Okay, what's Hezekiah 11, 17? Um, it's, it's Hezekiah 11, 17, no playing with blocks on a Sunday. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, yes. got it. Um, for the gentle listeners' uh, uh, benefit, if they don't know, like, 
like smart aleck references that that boys who go to parochial and homeschools make um the book of hezekiah is the book that you reference in the bible when you just need the bible to say whatever you need it to say because there's no book of there's no book of hezekiah Hezekiah. yeah hezekiah is of course a character in the old testament so that's why it's convenient but um one one that we used to quote in high school all the time was you know hezekiah chapter 3 verse 7 he who toots in church will sit in his own pew (laughs) (laughs) Or Hezekiah chapter 7, verse 9, uh, he who shall, so shall he. <laughs> just very mature and relevant to the tone of this podcast. Very good. Very but anyway, um, that said, this I, I uh, this is intentional. I have a, a purpose here. Okay. Um, and I, I couldn't, that was the one I could find, which is why I had to quote it. Um, I wrote in a few other times where his uncle does this. Mm-hmm. Um, or his aunt sometimes, presumably influenced by his uncle, yep. uh, sort of just tells him a rule and like backs it up with a vague reference to scripture, mm-hmm. but it's always at second, third, or fourth hand, and never really actually something yep. you could ever prove that scripture says. Mm-hmm. Like the best of it, when they say it, is um, that, you know, the, the the best like case you can make for anything they say is like you could take some verse or some section and like apply it to a specific circumstance and argue that the combination produces this result but it's never as cut and dried as they would like it to right to seem so i kept i got so mad at them doing that that i just kept writing references to hezekiah in the margin as a as a way of noting it good good (laughs) um did you have more to say on that no that's that's all i've got because that leads into something i want to mention uh in at least one of these episodes, and sure. we're probably going to hit on it a few times, the turning point when he stops being a child, more or less, and makes his first decision uh, of himself, Sure, maybe, uh, is related to all of that, because he's got a club foot. Yes. Uh, that's established very early on. And uh, as he's away at boarding school, which is kind of the phase of his life after life at the vicarage, uh, he comes across this passage that uh, faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. Oh, yes. And he asks his uncle to explain that. And his uncle very disinterestedly says, well, it just means that if you've got enough faith, cause this to happen. So so say you wanted a miracle of some sort, If if you wanted a miracle of healing of some kind. And what would what would you need? Well, you just have to believe right. and pray hard enough. Right. And very disinterestedly, the uncle is reading a newspaper at this time, and so uh, Philip is like, "Okay, then I'll I'll pray." And he prays and asks God to fix his club foot, and it doesn't happen. And then sure. you know, he asks, "Well, if if it, if you prayed for it and it didn't happen, well, it just means that you didn't believe enough." Right. And uh, you know, again, very disinterestedly. Okay, so I'll believe harder. And then he he it's put very interesting. He's very gracious about this. He's not going to ask God for this immediately. He'll just put a time limit on it that you know, at the end of these months, you know, then right. I'll want it healed. And so then he he's counting down the days and he's praying every night and making sure he's suffering enough every <laughs> night so that his prayers show that he believes hard enough. And then he comes to the end of it, uh, and it doesn't happen. And the the conclusion to him at that point is two things. One. He doesn't believe, right. and he comes to accept he doesn't believe, and God really doesn't exist. Right, <laughs> are those those conclusions that he that he comes to? Yeah, and that that ties into this idea of you know him being an atheist. His, the foundation of his atheism 
is in in one sense on the existence of suffering, especially right. personal suffering. Right. Uh, but then it, that expands as he grows older to suffering in the world in general. Sure, yeah. But uh, uh, his athe- atheism is then also uh, founded on not actually scripture, but like you say, the the aunt and uncle's sort of second, third hand reference to something is maybe scriptural and we're not going to actually look at the context of anything. Yes. <laughs> Just, you know, here's, here's what it is. And so his... Um, his atheism, he doesn't really analyze it. Yeah. He never comes to analyze his atheism, really. Well, just... and even, and this is a maybe getting ahead of ourselves, at least. Sure. Page count-wise, but even when he does come to fully sort of own and name that atheism, mm-hmm. it's less about atheism as an intellectual position and more about the influence of this, this other uh, uh, lad that he admires greatly yep. um it's as much a, a decision based on a person rather than a proposition yep. or a, a text as in sort of a a positive sense in the sense of affirming some belief as his decision not to believe is heavily influenced by his uncle and aunt in sort of mm-hmm. a negative sense and in, in not believing anything and i think all of that is is a very um good and true uh, I thought I had, uh, nailed down. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, so you, you've described what I think are two legs of, of a stool. Yeah. What I'm arbitrarily going to say is a three-legged stool of why Philip, uh, becomes an atheist. Sure. Um, so you have his, his incident with actual faith yep. in the one sense and, and being taught, you know, a a thing that leads him to um, question first his own faith and then whether whether mm-hmm. there's anything to have faith in. Um, and then secondly, you have that sort of what philosophers would call like the problem of evil. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a third leg to okay. this as well. And it has to do with um, what I did actually for once, managed to actually find the passage I was looking for. Oh. Um, it's in chapter six. Uh, chapter six begins with a very long it's like a page and a half long paragraph uh-huh. in my edition anyway there are a few of those <laughs> um, yes and uh and it's about halfway through that paragraph i would say so i'll just i'll just quote um yeah shopping in black stable where his he lives mm-hmm. with his uncle and aunt was not a simple matter for dissent helped by the fact that the parish church was two miles from the town was very common. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, and it, it, this is made at least like contextually clearer in other passages. Descent here specifically means those churches that were descended from dissenter churches in England, as mm-hmm. in churches that would not join the Anglican Communion, yep. which was designed to be as sort of broad an umbrella as possible. Yep. Um, but there were still churches who that sort of idea was too liberal for, and they had to. Uh, uh, just sort of shun everyone else because they had it exactly right. right. You've got like um, the Methodists would be part of that. Yes. And the, um, Which, the Puritans to an extent. To an ex- there, there was sort of like a, a dissenter Puritan wing and a yeah. C of E Puritan wing, yeah. I think. But um, you'd, you'd think of them as, as sort of the, the religiously hard right churches these days mm-hmm. would probably be the closest equivalent. Like you're, you're like fundamentalist Baptists mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and more like yeah, Anabaptists I think are specifically mentioned in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but in like a modern American equivalent, it'd yeah. be like your harder line fundamentalists yep. or like more conservative Baptists, maybe some of your like evangelical churches that are more mm-hmm. hardline Baptist um, are a similar descendant of this type of church. So, so that's that's what that is. Um, so dissent was very common, and it was necessary to deal only with churchgoers, as mm-hmm. in those who go to church at the Anglican church that that Philip's uncle uh, right. is the vicar of. Mrs. Carey knew perfectly that the vicarage custom might make all the difference to a tradesman, trades, tradesman's faith. There were two butchers who went to church, and they would not understand that the vicar could not deal with both of them at once, nor were they satisfied with his simple plan of going for six months to one and for six months to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the butcher who was not sending meat to the vicarage constantly threatened not to come to church, and the vicar was sometimes obliged to make a threat. It was very wrong of him not to come to church, but if he, that is the butcher, carried iniquity further and actually went to chapel, as in the dissenter church, the non-C of E church, then, of course, excellent as his meat was, Mr. Carey would be forced to leave him forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this paragraph goes on and gives some sort of yeah. uh, similar examples. Sure. Um, and to just round out this, I'm skipping a page and a half or two pages ahead um, to what almost seems like after this description of... of sort of church and state or church and economic transactions in the village almost sort of seems like a a non sequitur it's describing philip sitting in i believe it's mrs wilson's parlor um who the the connection uh logistically is that his aunt goes to visit mrs wilson at the end of a long shopping day at which we only shop at the people's shops who go to church yep to our church to the right church right um, and so we're describing Mrs. Wilson's parlor, and Phillips, of course, is sitting there bored like a good uh, late Victorian child being mm-hmm. seen and not heard and developing um, discipline and all mm-hmm. that all that mm-hmm. good stuff. Um, so in describing this, the windows were never opened except to air the room for a few minutes in the morning, and it had a stuffy smell, which seemed to Philip to have a mysterious connection with banking. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think... No, he doesn't cut the chapter there, but he cuts the paragraph there. Um, and I think that the, that usage, that drop of banking, because even like you were talking about how mom ends chapters with very dramatic flourishes. I think yep. he sometimes even does it with paragraphs. paragraphs absolutely. Um, and I think that's one of them because that, that banking ties the whole thing together. So church life is not purely spiritual in any sense here. No. It's all tied in to the cultural life because, yep. you know, your, your dissenter versus your, your mainline church would not only be about, I think, um, uh, you know, culture or, or, or social life, it would also be economic in a different sense that dissenters tended to be poorer. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. Which was maybe an effect of yeah. sort of distancing yourself from the, the mainstream culture. Um, so, you know, there's, there's economic stuff going on here, um, but it's, it's, it takes church life um, or a church community uh, and turns it, it uh, the the note I actually wrote was everything is transactional. Ah, yes, it's, mm-hmm. it's all a transaction. You yep. go to my church as uh, you know. Sure. I'm the vicar. You go to my church and your tithes support me, and then I sort yeah. of bring that back to you in the form of my business, and also the fact that I'm the vicar and everyone right. knows I go to you for my meat. So like that's probably a point of like 
sort yeah. of an advertisement, a soft advertisement of that's, sorts. That's an interesting way to to analyze this because then that feeds perfectly into when he ultimately does lose his faith. Yeah, because he's expecting faith to be a transaction with God. He has enough faith in prayers, and oh. God gives him a miracle. That's fat, like that's the one connection out of this that I think I hadn't made, and it 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 fits right in there. And, it does, and I'm glad you put the term transactional on it because then I think that does go through the rest of his life too. Uh, when when he hits money troubles, the the he feels cheated in the transactions. Yeah, uh, and even his romantic yep. um, entanglements, a lot of them. Even when he's claiming selflessness and yes. such, he is expecting a, a tit for tat. He's expecting yeah. to get in return what he has paid. Who's the uh, Mildred? Yeah, she's the the waitress. One. Yep. Yeah, and and at a certain point, he lets her live with him for yep. free. Yep. Um, sort of out of as an act of charity or out of the goodness of his heart, but still expects her to have the place cleaned. Yep. To you know make the roast for him. Yep. Um, and he, he and and he just says it like it's just sort of not a transaction. It's just like what a decent person what, would do. How, in these what a nice thing I'm doing for you. Yeah, you've got such a good setup here. Yeah, See? yeah. Uh, and then you know uh, we're maybe jumping way ahead here. We've kind of been chronological more or less. But... Yeah, we've we've been impressive yeah. throughout the, the like yeah. most of this episode. But, but past. when she finally leaves, yes. and it's the second to last time he sees her. Yeah. Uh, when uh, they've had a fight, and she completely destroys his apartment. Yes. Yes. Uh, completely wrecks it. He comes back to find just the wreckage and everything torn up and destroyed. Uh, he, he, the reaction that's described is not anger at that point. It's just shock. He can't comprehend it. Yeah. And the reason he can't comprehend it, it's occurring to me here, is because it doesn't follow the laws of the transaction. Right. Because he, everything he gave to her, it, he should be getting in response at least a note saying goodbye. Right. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yes. Yes. But instead, he gets destruction, and that's that's not how transactions work. So he he yeah. confronts it with just shock and emotionless shock. Yes. At that time. Yeah. So it's really interesting. Yeah. 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 See, and and that's that's really interesting, and it's not where I was going to go with it at all, but I think it also does make perfect sense. Where I was going to go with it, and this is colored a little bit by the only interaction I had with Mom before reading this book. Um, I'd never read anything else by him, maybe a short story sure. somewhere along the line. Um, but otherwise, I had seen the movie version from the 1930s of his book, The Razor's Edge. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's there's a similar character in that book to... Somewhat similar, as I recall, to Philip Carey, who sort of is raised in this very conventional Church of England style mm -hmm. faith and loses his faith. Um, but and I actually was half expecting really through the, at least the first half of this book, I was expecting this book to go this way. But in uh, Razor's Edge, that character's reaction is to go east. He mm. he gets. In fact, I think there's like implication that Philip might do that at some point. He wants to travel. That yeah, way, he mentions yeah. a few times, or even has yeah. potentially a few opportunities. I think, mm -hmm. um, and he always either turns them down or sort of pushes them yep. down the road. Um, but that character, you know, hops on a on a ship and literally goes and seeks out like yogis and uh, yeah, um, uh, teachers in India, Hindu and and Buddhist teachers. Mm -hmm. 
um, and becomes very influenced by uh, Hinduism and, and Buddhism. Um, and I think in both cases, uh, the, the loss of faith is similar in that and I think Philip here is, is to some extent, maybe he doesn't know it, but he's looking for what you might call a pure faith. Sure. He's looking for a faith that doesn't have to do with the economics. You don't believe a certain thing because it gets you a better cut of meat. You believe it profits it. you. Yeah, exactly. You believe it because it's true. Sure. Um, and I think that, that uh, part of his motivation, if he could be said... We talked about his external motivation for mm -hmm. becoming an atheist. He has a, a yep. compatriot who he thinks is very smart, very cool, and he's heavily influenced by him. If there's an internal one, I I suspect it has a lot to do with his disgust at paying lip service to a faith which has produced, um, you know, what a uh, uh, Bill Holm called what happy poverty or ecstatic mm -hmm. poverty. Um, that seems to be more what the Bible preaches, and yet we have this very like comfortable middle class life, and yeah. the faith is used, or the church at least is used to sort of prop up and enforce that life. Yeah. Um, like I think, and some people who have who have become atheists have uh, claimed this this reasoning for themselves that to him maybe the more spiritual thing to do was to become an atheist rather than believe something because it benefited him yeah mm -hmm. absolutely and that seems to be where he goes with this yeah that he doesn't necessarily put it in those terms but uh yeah it doesn't it, it doesn't serve and if it doesn't serve then it's not fixing the problem that it says it's fixing yeah exactly so <laughs> that or, is not true you know it's, it's sort of a, a hypocrisy thing you yeah, say you yep. say one thing but you know you could you could ask the question did was did his uncle believe was he was he a real christian and that's that's obviously a super loaded phrase that yep. you can't always answer that question for anyone but it it seems like a a perfectly apt question to ask more maybe a better question would be if you took away his his vicar position and you took away the the comforts that that brought him the living that that brought him and also the prestige and the community yeah would his uncle still be a Christian? Sure, um, sure. And I and think... It does kind of start asking that question right at the end of his uncle's life. Yes. He notes how terrified his uncle is of death. And, yes. And how he's just grasping at life, and that's a source of mockery for Philip. Yeah, that's probably where, where that idea of hypocrisy surfaces yeah. the closest yeah, to the Yeah, absolutely. Until he gets text. his final communion, and then Philip is kind of shocked again when he sees his uncle at peace. Yeah. Then <laughs> yeah. it's like, wait... You, no, you can't change like that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, which is, uh, I, I think, because I was going to say before when we were talking about some, like the transactional thing, what that, and that's that's a you know thread throughout the history of Christianity, certainly in, in England and in America, is the idea of a transactional faith. Sure. Um, there's There's been a lot of talk lately about, and this is a digression I super can't get into an hour into this <laughs> right, hour-long right. podcast, but um, the idea of new thought um, influencing Christianity, mm. uh, new thought being sort of can trace its roots back to uh, Emerson and, and some of those guys. The idea that you can think and grow rich, which is literally the oh. title of a book. 
Sure. Um, you know, it, it, that's, that's a book from nearly a hundred years ago now, but more recently, The Secret mm-hmm. is directly descended from New Thought. It's this idea that you yep. can impose your will onto the universe. Um, and through that, thought and will. Yeah, through yeah. thought and will. That it, in other words, you believe a thing and then it happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, if I just go around thinking, I, I will be rich. I will be rich soon. I will sort of bend the universe to creating sure. that for me. Well, and that's um, exactly what Philip is expecting. Well, that, that's that's exactly... And again, we'll, we'll get into this on a later episode. That's exactly what that transactional idea is. Yeah. And what it misses, what it completely leaves out, is grace. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as grace if yep. all faith and all acts of love and charity are transactional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which requires an other. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, That's I can feel good... us. I was gonna say I can feel us both resisting the urge to keep talking. The urge to keep talking because n- we don't have any more pithy one-liners at this point. I think nope, we only have nope. twenty-minute discussions. So curtain. <laughs> <laughs> what? Who turned on the lights? I need this to see my script. Oh, it's on a computer. It glows in the dark. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, um, thank you for listening, gentle listener. We will. Be back in two weeks with Of Human Bondage, um, yep. which I'm now not sure how I feel about anymore. Ah-ha-ha. But, uh, yeah. Um, Follow your heart, Ethan. Thank you. <laughs> I only need to believe in myself. Who said that? I don't know. Someone definitely credible. Um, definitely. So, uh, we will be back in two weeks with Of Fruit Loops model. Follow your nose. Human Bondage. Oh, I was thinking you looked a little uh, tropical. Um, so please read along. I'm supposed to say that it's in the script. I don't know. I guess at this point I'd if say you... if it piques your in- if the discussion so far piques your interest and you haven't read it, give it a shot. I'm not rating things yet because I'm not allowed to do that. You're not allowed. Um, don't do it or being, you lose. I'm being sneaky. I don't think that's a rule. <laughs> it should be. It should be. Maybe it will be. <laughs> Maybe season five. <laughs> Than a hundred episodes. Yeah. So please read along, give us your feedback. Uh, you can do that in the contact section of tapestryradio.org. Be sure to put Scotch Talk in the subject line. We are at Room with Scotch on Twitter. I am at Bjartlet on Twitter. B J A R T L E T T. Michael, what is your Twitter? I am at M G L I L I E N T H A L. Excellent. Uh, you can do. You can join the Tapestry Radio Tap House on Facebook. You request to join, we will let you in unless you're a nihilist, um, <laughs> which I think covers all like robots, Nazis, and and other uh, yeah forbidden categories. Yeah, I think that's that's a good blanket. Um, ah, oh, my nihilist blanket. <laughs> it, it does nothing for me. <laughs> we. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed that. I'm so happy. <laughs> oh, oh, I want to put in our shop on our website a nihilist, a nihilist blanket. blanket. It would be like when people sell air guitars on eBay and people would get a box of nothing that they would have paid for. Oh my gosh. Um, Gentle listener, if you demand it, we will will do it. it. Uh, We will also do your homework. Speaking of nihilism, uh, we will not do it well. We have decided we condone plagiarism, which was Michael's idea. Hey, Uh, it was though. (laughs) um, Because it's funny and because you will go to jail for it and not us. Um, but if you go to our website, tapestryradio.org slash scotchcast, fill out the form. Um, we will do our best to make it fun. 
I'm altering the script here. Well, the script says we'll do our best and make it fun, but we will really only do one of those things. It's true. Um, if you like this podcast, check out our other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network. We have Intermission, our audio drama podcast. And Pokemon Rollout, the Pokemon Tabletop United Actual Play RPG podcast. Oh, good. You only left out one word. <laughs> um, and perhaps other podcasts coming soon. Uh, da, da, da. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. I think we're on Stitcher. We're on some other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, we on don't... Kite. Oh, uh... I didn't know about that one. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, we don't pay to advertise, so ratings and word of mouth are pretty much how others learn about us. On Google so Podcast. Too. Get on that. Oh, are we? Yep. Like Google Play? Google Play. Yep. Okay, my brother texted me a while ago saying, get your podcast on Google Play, because that's We're the there. only one he can he can listen to. We're there. So now he has no more excuses. Yep. Um, yeah. Hi, Zeke, if you actually did decide to listen and weren't just making excuses. Yeah, which I Zeke. Doubt. Yeah, Zeke. Um. He's not one of our patrons, so that's all the mentions he gets on the, right. on the show. Uh, so, we don't pay to advertise. That's how others can learn about us and enjoy the content you enjoy. Um, I have a webcomic called Pin Porter Girl Detective. Your best bet is just to type that into Google. Uh, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll get there. You'll find it. Um, uh, my friend Robin G. does the art on that, and it is very good. I'm still waiting for a physical copy of Volume 2. <sighs> <laughs> just remember, gentle listener... Until next time, we'll cry if we want to at our party that's ours. I want to retake that. Just remember, gentle listener, until next time, you cry at our party. Okay, I want to do that one more time. Never mind. That's good. Admissions and not emissions. <laughs> Whoa. Not it on the record. I'm gonna be be uh. Now uh, here here's a vilified. here's a great question. What's the difference? You vilified accurately. Well, <laughs> depends on how you define the words. Yeah. Potentially none. And I hate you. We haven't even okay. started officially recording. I already hate you. I know. It's bound to happen. <laughs> Whenever you're ready. Oh, I suppose I'm hosting because you're in my you house. You are. We're in your house. Okay. See, now I feel guilty because you pointed out that I've been hosting forever. <laughs> but, like, this seems like a difficult precedent to break. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you want to just sign your home over to me, I could host. I mean, if you want to pay rent <laughs> on my home That's for maybe me, a bridge too far. <laughs> uh, I would make you... No, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say I would let you make at least one, like, rule that Karen and I had to live by every day, but... <laughs> I realized... I uh, saw myself opening up And my a fantasies Pandora's are running box. wild. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From our fancy to yours. Thank you.